Good morning, guys. Good morning, Ronnie. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. Glad you're here, guys. For those of you tuning in uh, live or those that are going to catch the recorded later, glad you're here. We're at Vertical Church. Ben Derrick is kind enough to open his doors to us and allow us to gather here, and we're thankful for that. Guys, we do a little housekeeping right quick. First, Two-Gun Tactical. Nope, Ricky's gone. Let's cover that in a minute. No, Ricky's here. Two-Gun Tactical. Men's program starts at 6.30. Come by at 6. Check out the guns and ammo, right? 6.30, Tuesday night, Two-Gun Tactical. Just had the best. Guys not out. Just had the best deer camp ever last weekend. Sure was. Good deal. Keep working it, Phil. Keep working it. Next weekend, not two days, but 10 days from now, fish camp. Week from tomorrow. Fairhope, Alabama. Come be a part of it. Sorry? Greenbow, Alabama. Fairhope. Fairhope, Alabama. Guys, I want to be sure you've got two sheets this morning. We're a little late getting uh, one of the sheets out. We had two sheets this morning. One is the questions. <clears throat> Phil, I shared with my wife this morning, I had some homework to do. And she said, really, how many weeks are you behind? <laughs> Your wife knows yes, yes. Uh, we'll make an appointment next week. <laughs> Guys, I, I, I just want to cover the, the handout because it really is. I mean, this is, this is, a, this is a men's group and a Bible study, and a life coaching event, all wrapped into one. Phil has years of experience of dealing with broken men, and he gets a little input from Carla on occasions. Not that he only gets a little input, he just receives a little input from Carla on occasions. But they have... Sometimes I don't, I don't even have to ask. Yes, Phil. Hold over there. <laughs> Hold over there. We're not going to get into that this morning. But he does, he does bring a wealth of information from counseling practice and from practical life experiences to us each week. And in this poignant, meddlesome season of into the promised land, you keep wanting to pick into this marriage thing, and I don't really understand it, but there is a lot of good to come out of it. If you have a handout, if you don't have it, pick one up. If you have missed a week or two, they're on the webpage. Go back and print them out. Do the homework. I promised my wife that we would start on it this weekend, and we'll see if we can't get caught up to where we are. But uh, it's there. It's an opportunity. Please uh, make use of it. Guys, let me open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here. I thank you so much for my brothers Jeff and Jeff and Chris. They work so diligently each week to bring the material that Phil prepares to us and to uh put this meeting together, broadcast it live, and record it, maintain the web page, all of those things that they do. Lord, but none of this is uh, of any meaning without you. And we're here to praise you, to glorify you, and to welcome you into our heart. In your name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Morning, gentlemen. I have a song for you this morning that uh, I trust will awaken your heart to what God has for us. Um, song um, 
on Johnny Cash's last album. And uh, what we're looking at this morning um, in the shadow of our study through Joshua is marriage healing emotional wounds. And what we always say, you know, about the woundedness that we all have is that wouldn't it be a whole lot better if we had a cast on our leg and everybody could say, well, could I sign your cast? You know, that must have really hurt. Or, you know, you got a bandage on your head and everybody could see that and, and you're limping and your back's hurting. I mean, that's maybe the way you feel this morning, but emotional wounds are those invisible wounds that nobody sees and that are many times much more tragic to our well-being than anything physical emotional wounds this song is a haunting song i want to read to you just the first verse and then uh, drop down to the last you've got the notes uh, or the song there on, on your notes um the first verse i hurt myself today to see if i still feel now th those are haunting words i um a client that I had a number of years ago, she was a self-mutilator. It was the first time that I had worked with a self-mutilating client. When, when she came in and I asked her, she reported that she was a cutter, and I asked her to show me her arms. And I don't know if that was a good idea or not, because when she pulled her sleeves up and she showed me her arms, um, I got uh, lightheaded. I thought I was going to pass out. I hurt myself today. <laughs> to see if I still feel the only way that she knew that she was alive literally because of the trauma and the tragedy that she had gone through is she was so dead and so numb that she had to literally cut herself, see the blood to get her brain to tell her that she was alive. Tragic, tragic. I focus on the pain the only thing that's real, the needles, the needle tears a hole, the old familiar sting, try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. I can't forget it. I could numb it for a little while, but I can't forget it. Drop down to the very last line. If I could start again a million miles away, I would keep myself. I would find a way. Listen to the words of this. Consider your own wounds and the wounds of those that you love and sit with every day. May you hear the voice of God and may he prepare your heart for what he has for us this morning. I hurt my See if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real The needle tears a hole the old familiar sting Try to kill it all away 
But I remember everything What have I become My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you could have it all My empire of dirt on the alert stand firm in your faith act like men be strong words in first corinthians 16 13 follow with me as we dig in to our study in joshua joshua take the land be the man the book of joshua is the book of conquest the battlefield of is canaan and it is where god keeps his promise that he made with abraham in this study, we will use the land possessed by Joshua and the people of Israel as a metaphor to understand how we take possession of what it means to be a Christian man. We will examine 10 issues that men face every day. Each day is a battle to be faced with courage, strength, and faith. You must be courageous, will you? And so this morning, what we look at... Um, as our topic is marriage and the idea of healing emotional wounds. 
So what we've been saying all along is that God will give us a story uh, in order to direct us into who he wants us to be and what he wants us to be. So we're simply using the story of Joshua as a narrative, uh, as an example of faith, strength, and courage in order for us to understand how to be the man. And today, of course, we're looking at that relative to marriage. Um, you know, being the ADD guy that I am, I'm never bored, and I can handle many topics at one time, kind of. And so I realized that when we do a study on Joshua, why would you also do a study on manhood at the same time? Why don't you do a study on Joshua and then do a study on manhood? Well, anybody can do that. You know, let's tackle two topics at one time, you know? And so it's the idea of using the courage and strength and call to manhood in Joshua to attack these issues that we're faced with every day. If you want to learn how to be a man, study the book of Joshua. And then let's attack these 10 issues that we face every day. Marriage is today. So pick up your pen. Let's do some journaling. The way we want to start every day and the way we want to start our study this morning. So I have three questions for you. What is your greatest emotional hurt? Now go back in time for a minute. You know, this is a counseling session, sort of. So what would you say was your greatest emotional hurt? Your greatest emotional hurt. I mean, there's a lots of things that come to my mind. Um, I'll tell you just one quick story. You know, I'm 13, 14 years old. I'm in a, I'm a boy scout at this time. And our uh, scout master said, bring your dads to the boy scout meeting next week. We're going to show uh, slides on Philmont, and we want your dad to uh, understand where we want to take you guys, and um, we're going to take you to Philmont. And, of course, if you're, if you're a Boy Scout, anybody knows anything about Boy Scouts, you know that Philmont is Boy Scout heaven. I mean, every, every Boy Scout that's any kind of a Boy Scout wants to go to Philmont, the camp out in New Mexico. And I had a meeting with Colin Baird last night, and some of us, and Colin really made me mad because he told me he'd been to Philmont three times. Dad gone it. You know, dad gone it. I didn't get to go because what happened is I, I went home and told Papaw, uh, my dad, uh, hey, Scoutmaster wants us to, to show up at the scout meeting and, and he's going to show us slides and he's going to take a bunch of us to Philmont. And my dad said, I'm not, I'm not going. I have to work that day and I'm, I'm not going, Oh, Dan, please go. And I, now again, keep in mind, I'm, you know, I'm 13, 14. I'm just, I'm this tall, skinny kid. And I, all of a sudden I'm begging my dad like a five-year-old and my dad said, no, I'm not going. He gets up from the kitchen table. True story. I, I get down on the floor and I'm pulling on his pants leg like a five-year-old begging my dad to go to a Boy Scout meeting, and he refuses to go. Guys, I'm telling you, something died in me that day, and anger rose up in me. 
there was a point that I kind of got a hold of myself and realized that the begging was not going to accomplish anything. And there was things that went through my head that I certainly could not say uh, in my mother's presence, or I wouldn't be standing here today. But I'm telling you, anger took hold of my heart that day and didn't let go for many, 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 many years. Anger will always fill the wound in an, in a, in an illegitimate and inappropriate way. There's nothing wrong with anger in and of itself. Scripture says, be angry. But I'm telling you guys, when we are wounded, when uh, those that you love are wounded, anger will fill that hole like a bad patch on a leaky roof. It might help you for a little while, but you need to replace the roof. Second question. What is your wife's greatest emotional hurt? Wow. Do you even know? Do you even care to ask? I mean, go home and ask your wife, what's the most hurtful thing that's ever happened to you? And I'm telling you, do not ask that question if you don't want to hear the answer. You might have to take the day off. But man, nobody heals unless somebody will sit and hold the wound. I'm not responsible for Carla, my wife, but I'm responsible to her. Now, that's, that's very critical. I mean, I could talk all day and we could go cycle babble on you right there with just that deal. But nobody gets well unless they have somebody with them relationally to hold the pain, to feel the pain with them, to, uh, to absorb the shame and reflect love back and forgiveness back. We did an incredible exercise at deer camp with one of our guys this past weekend that was struggling with forgiveness. And we gave him an experience of forgiveness to where he wasn't just reading it out of scripture. I mean, he already knew God forgives. I need forgiveness. Confess your sins. Forgive. He already had the cognitive piece, but what he did not have was the experiential piece. And we invited him to choose three guys in the group to sit before him. And he acknowledged uh, some very severe wounds in his own life. And he asked them for forgiveness. Would you forgive me? And every man looked him in the eye and said, I forgive you. It was experiencing Jesus. Jesus was skin on it. You've got to feel the pain, offer the pain in order to get over the pain. Third question. How are you an emotional agent of healing? How are you? How would you go home, find out what your wife's greatest hurt is, her greatest pain, maybe something that you've never heard or, or never understood, and then be an agent of healing? And what I would say to you guys is you've got to be safe at that point. 
safe. Now, when, when I talk about safe with men, I'm, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, physical harm. Like, well, you know, I'm, I'm down to three beatings a week uh, on my wife, and I'm feeling a lot better about myself. You know, not, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm assuming that there's not physical harm. But does your wife feel safe with you to offer her emotional hurt? What I've given you is an assessment, another assessment for you to go home and work through with your wife, just just to test to see how safe you are. First question, we admit our weaknesses to one another rather than presenting we have it all together. We are truly spiritual in our marriage rather than religious. We are committed to growing. We are not stagnant in our spiritual lives. Number three, we are open to feedback. We're not defensive and, and so on. It's just a way to engage in a conversation to assess whether or not she believes you're a safe person. The error that you and I make is, yeah, I'm safe. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm listening to you. And she's saying, no, I don't feel like you are. Give her the chance to cast a vote on whether or not you are safe and find out if you are or if you ain't, and why you ain't. So let's dig into Joshua. We need some courage. We need a model. Joshua chapter 5 is where we are. Again, God gives us this great uh, model. Um, He is a type of Jesus, a type of Christ, if you will. And he is giving us the model of what a man is. And so he's uh, crossed over the, uh, the Jordan River. The Israelites um, are now in Canaan. And uh, something really significant happens here in chapter 5. So follow along as we pick up with chapter 5. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and the Canaanite kings along the seacoast heard how God had stopped the Jordan River before the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts sank. The, the courage drained out of them just thinking about the people of Israel. Now, keep in mind, I mean, these Amorites, the Canaanites, I mean, they were warring people. Uh, they, were, they were warriors. And God had so traumatized them by how he stopped the floodwaters of the Jordan. I mean, it'd be like driving over to Vicksburg uh, during the spring season right now. Waters are high. And all of a sudden, you start to cross the Vicksburg Bridge, and you look down. You you don't even need the bridge. You could walk over, and the waters are backed up. And what God was doing and the reputation that the Israelites had gained with the Amorites, it scared them to death, and they froze. Now, what we're getting ready to read, that's very, very, very significant because the Israelites are not going to be able to fight. And so what happened is God kind of paralyzed the enemy with fear. Have you ever been so afraid that you couldn't move? You couldn't act. I know you're a man. You wouldn't tell me if you had. I understand. The Amorites were scared out of their wits. 
because at that time, God said to Joshua, make stone knives and circumcise the people of Israel a second time. So Joshua made stone knives and circumcised the people of Israel at Four Skins Hill. Ouch! I think I'd have called in sick that day, right? This is why Joshua conducted the circumcision. All the males who had left Egypt, the soldiers, had died in the wilderness on the journey out of Egypt. So all the people who had come out of Egypt, of course, had been circumcised. But all those born in the wilderness along the way since leaving Egypt had not been. The fact is that the people of Israel had walked through the wilderness for 40 years until the entire nation died out. All the men of military age who had come out of Egypt but had disobeyed the call of God. God vowed that these would never lay eyes on the land God had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey, but their children had replaced them. These are the ones Joshua circumcised. They had never been circumcised. No one had circumcised them along the way. There's two important issues here. And, and we're going to see this all through the book of Joshua. God does not compromise his standard. And his standard was holiness all the way through. And though he had promised Joshua victory, it was conditional. Now, Ron and I have been talking a lot about this unconditional love, and Ron's been hugging over this. I, I love uh, seeing my brother and, and what God's doing in his life, and it, and it uh, encourages me. And, and Ron's been working a lot lately, I think, Ron, with this whole idea of unconditional love. What does that mean? I mean, it's kind of like a joke in a sense. Does God really love us unconditionally? Yes, in a certain sense. Now, I learned that phrase from R.C. Sproul. That's what a, the a good theologian does to kind of cover his behind in a certain sense. And then you can say about anything and you just say, well, in a certain sense, because in, in one sense, it's true. Does God love us unconditionally in the sense that absolutely, you know, there's nothing that I could do any more than my girls could do anything that would cause me not to love them. But at the same time, it is conditional in terms of his blessing. If you obey, there's blessing. If you disobey, there's curse. That was all through the book of Deuteronomy. And so what God's saying here, uh, Joshua, is my promise to give you victory is conditional on you doing what I tell you to do, on you obeying. There will not be victory if you just go out and do it on your own. How's that worked out for you? Oh, yeah, I love God. I love God, but I'm going to do it my way. Not too good. Not too good. So God does not compromise his standard even when he promises victory. He wants us to play by the rules, if you will. You go out on the football field, referee's going to blow the whistle and throw a flag if you don't follow the rules. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were playing basketball. It's a football field. There's rules. Second point here that is, that is so important Again, God's standard is holiness, and he wants his people to be holy. And circumcision was a very physical, identifying mark that you belong to me. But look what happens here. 
verse 8. And when they had completed the circumcising of the whole nation, they stayed where they were in camp until they healed. You know, you know what's funny in, in, in my crazy head, you know what I see? I see like like three Jewish guys, you know, like three Jewish guys walk into a, a bar. Eli, Aaron, and Levi. And they just got word that they have to get circumcised. And so Eli and Aaron and, Le- and, and um, uh, Eli, Aaron and Levi um, are, they're, they're like hanging out and there's like, dude, I don't mind fighting those Amorites. I, I'm all in, but I ain't getting circumcised. I ain't doing that. And Joshua says, no, you are getting circumcised because we submit to God. Guys, if you want victory, you submit to God. You want to do it your way, you do it your way. So Eli and Levi and Aaron got circumcised. That's the end of that story. God said to Joshua, Today I rolled away the reproach of Egypt. That's why the place is called the Gilgal. It's still called that. Set apart, you belong to me. Verse 10, the people of Israel continued to camp at the Gilgal. They celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the plains of Jericho. Right away, the day after the Passover, they started eating the produce of that country, unraised bread and roasted grain, and then no more manna. The manna stopped. As soon as they started eating food grown in the land, there was no more manna for the people of Israel. That year they ate from the crops of Canaan. Now that had to be pretty doggone special. Because I think I'd have been tired of manna. For 40 years, I was eating manna in the morning and quail in the evening, because that's how God fed them. In the morning, they woke up and the manna was laying on the ground. They picked it up. Now, they, tr- they tried to store it at one point, and what happened when they tried to store it? It rotted. It, it wasn't going to last more than just a few hours. And then at dinner, God dropped quail out of the sky. Now, that would have been a quail hunt, Joe. That would have been better than South Dakota, you know? It's all white meat. No, it's all white meat. It's all white meat. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> the manna stopped. Wow. And guys, again, you know, it's, it's a little bit troubling to me. I don't know if you think the way I do, hopefully not for your sake. Um, but it's like, you mean, God, we're going to eat those people's food. You're going to stop them from having their food and you're going to give it to us. Yeah. Because I'm not afraid to bring judgment on those that do not follow my way. Now, again, we're going to get more and more uncomfortable with this idea of God's judgment. And if you think God doesn't hold us to a standard, then you better check out of reading through the book of Joshua, because it's getting ready to get serious. And so once again, God gives um, to his people that which somebody else may think that it belongs to them, but it doesn't belong to them. And it's like God brings his people in, and he, he gives his people their food. And it's a form of judgment. So then look at the last part of this. Verse 13, an amazing event happens. 
And then this, while Joshua was there near Jericho, he looked up and saw right in front of him a man standing, holding his drawn sword. And Joshua stepped up and said, Whose side are you on, ours or our enemies? I mean, Joshua didn't know if this guy had come to kill him or to fight with him. He said, neither. I'm commander of God's army. I've just arrived. And Joshua fell face to the ground in worship. He asked, what orders does my master have for his servant? And if, if you're an underliner and uh, an asterisk person, uh, mark it, highlight it, whatever you do, you need to highlight this, that, that question. What orders does my master have for his servant? God's army commander ordered Joshua, take your sandals off your feet. The place you're standing is holy. Joshua did it. Guys, what God is doing in sending his warrior, his mighty warrior to Joshua is to see if Joshua could follow orders. Yeah, Joshua, you're my leader. You're my man. I want you to lead. But no leader leads well if he can't follow. And God establishes that with this warrior that appears to Joshua. Joshua, I'm going to give you victory. But every day, I'm going to give you orders what to do. Can you follow orders? So what he does here is he gives him visible confirmation. The mighty warrior shows up, and he simply declares himself, I'm not really for you, and I'm not not for the enemy. I work for God, and I'll give you orders, and then you decide who you're going to follow. And what he's answering, and God's posing the question, are you with me? And that's the question that Joshua poses to the warrior. Are you with me? This is the leader of the army of God, and he is saying, I'm your commander. It's not a question of whether he is with Israel. The question is whether Israel is with him. Who are you fighting for today? Dear Camp, this past weekend, uh, we always show a movie. We showed The Expendables and worked with that Friday night. It's a great movie, full of testosterone. Lots of shooting and killing and maiming, and it's a man movie. And the reason we show a movie like that, and we've shown all kinds, some have been good, some have not been so good. You know, the the ones that are not so good, Ron uh, chose those. I I had nothing to do with those. Um, But it's like, man, who are you fighting for? And so many of us, we, we fight with out of that anger. How about fighting for something bigger than yourself? And once again, God calls us to be courageous. Now, if we ever needed courage, then it's in this idea of marriage. So now that we've got uh, some courage and some direction from Joshua, let's shift gears over to our topic, marriage. And the the topic on marriage that I want you to understand 
again, is this need to heal emotional wounds. Part of the reason that your marriage is so challenging and so difficult is because of the pain and the hurt that goes unresolved. And a lot of times we don't know how to talk about it. We don't want to talk about it. Our wives don't know how to talk about it. And again, if you're not married here this morning, uh, you've got children or you've got friends who need to heal emotional wounds. And oftentimes it's those things that you don't see. It's like an iceberg, which is more significant relative to an iceberg, that which you see above the water or that which you don't see below the water. Obviously, two-thirds of the iceberg are below the water. You don't see it, and it'll sink the Titanic, the unsinkable ship. Healing emotional wounds, unseen scars. People who help us feel guilty by telling us that we should get over our past are not helpful. That it's time to forget the past and get on with it. Get on with life. Unseen scars. And I'm telling you, guys, it is the unseen, just like in my example of the iceberg that is so critical. What is going on? Ever feel like that you were in a um, fight with your wife, a, a, a conflict with your wife, and she was talking to somebody else? It's called projection. She's sitting there looking at you, even calling you by name, and she's fighting with her father. She's fighting with her mother. She's fighting with her grandfather. She's fighting with people from her past that she's unconscious of at that moment, but you're standing in front of her, and she is unleashing all of that pain on you, and you're trying to find the door to get to the car. Have a good day. Stages of life, wounds, stages of life, prenatal, before birth, childhood wounds, adolescent wounds, adult wounds. I describe those in your handout there. I want to show you um, a clip out of Antoine Fisher. And if you're having difficulty of just even connecting this idea of emotional wounds as a man, watch Antoine Fisher. The movie is fantastic in answering two questions. Does my past have anything to do with my present? You could probably answer that without watching the movie, but the movie will answer that question. And then the second question would be, if my past does have something to do with my present, what do I do with it? What do I do? And that movie will save you a counseling session, it'll answer that question right there. So I want to show you a clip to where Antoine Fisher is very wounded. You'll, you'll just have to trust me because I'm going to show you two minutes out of, out of the whole movie. He's very, very wounded, very wounded, very wounded. And he starts to do the healing work. Denzel Washington is the shrink. So he goes to the counselor. He's in, in the Navy and they tell him either we're going to kick you out of the Navy because of your anger or you're going to go to counseling and get well. He goes to counseling. Denzel Washington begins to work with him. I mean, who wouldn't be helped by Denzel? Um, and so he's now in this scene of sitting with his mother that he's never known. He found her. 
he found his mother who had abandoned him. And he sits with his mother. I want you to feel this scene. It's very powerful. He finds his mother and he sits with his mother and listen to what he says and feel the, uh, the emotional pain in him and in her. Watch this. to dream about you. My mother. My mother. What you be like. How you look. Your voice and your smile. Even your scent. For all these years, I wondered about you. I dreamed didn't you miss me? Ran away to school each day. I imagine you were just around the next corner. When I get there, you would be there. And in my mind, you was always there. You just couldn't find me. So I raced to the next corner be there. I know you would. Then you would buy me ice cream. And then you would take me home. I'm a good man. powerful scene of a very wounded man addressing his wounds. Emotional hurt must be felt in order to be healed. The healing is in the feeling. David Benner, uh, written a great book, um, I've got, you know, just a couple of minutes to cover uh, a book of about 100 pages. David Benner wrote Healing Emotional Wounds. If you need to do this kind of work, I would strongly recommend that book, Healing Emotional Wounds by David Benner. Part of what's so difficult about emotional wounds is it makes us feel vulnerable. So guess what? There's no way to heal it without feeling vulnerable. And the healing is kind of walking back the process of the wound. When you and I are wounded, we are hurt emotionally. Um, 
we are hurt intellectually in that it doesn't make sense. And then we're faced with a will issue. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so the way that you heal emotional wounds is that you've got to re-experience or reconnect with the pain by telling the story. I am so, so excited for the next 20 years. We've been doing deer camp for 20 years. You know, I'm going to be doing it 20 years from now. If God gives, gives me my health and, you know, I'm a little bit more cognizant than Joe Biden, you know, <laughs> where'd that come from? Did I, did I say that? Did I say that? Oh, you know, so I just want to be able to find the bathroom in 20 years at deer camp, you know, and we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep doing this because guys tell their story. They don't want to tell their story. They feel the pain in a safe environment. You got to feel the pain. And yet you and I try to medicate it, swallow it, run away from it. We anger it for 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 years. I'm just angry, angry men. And secondly, it's, it's an intellectual issue. We've got to reinterpret the hurt by understanding the story, make sense of the hurt. We, we can't, what we say is you cannot change the past, but you can change how you understand the past. That's critical. That's critical. I can't change that. But now I understand Antoine Fisher in that scene, he understood that his mother was a teenager and she had him. And so he could feel compassion once he moved from anger to forgiveness and understand and confront and have a conversation with her without just yelling at her. No, I mean, when, when you and I watch that now, I think, I hope you feel compassion for Antoine, not growing up, uh, growing up without a mother. And there at the end, mama has got the little shame tear going. We feel compassion for her. You've got to make sense out of the nonsense in order to heal. And then finally, now you're, now you're, uh, it's the showdown at the OK Corral. And you got to lay your guns on the table and you've got to willfully decide that you've got to move from anger to forgiveness. I'm going to forgive my mom. I'm going to forgive my dad. I'm going to um, forgive the perpetrator. I'm going to forgive. And in no way would I ever suggest that that's an easy task. No way. Sometimes it can be a journey of a lifetime. And forgiveness is not an event. I mean, it can crop up like bamboo in the spring. You got bamboo in your yard, and those sprouts start popping up in the spring. I, th I, I thought it was gone. No, no. Sometimes you got to keep forgiving. Got to keep forgiving. But the way to get rid of the anger is to forgive. So, guys, Joshua gives us a model of manhood to be brave courageous, strong follower of God. And in our marriage, do we not need that? Absolutely. Marriage is not easy. And part of what makes it so challenging are the unseen emotional scars that your wife carries and that you carry. 
the healing is available. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you uh, for your word this morning. Thank you for the model of Joshua. Give us the courage that we need to love courageously. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week, guys.